electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Fast, the S&P and Nasdaq now riding five-month winning streaks into August, while the Dow has been up 15 of the last 16 sessions. As the rally moves beyond just the biggest of the big tech names, is this a sign the market can keep grinding higher? We'll debate that. Plus, a cooling Chinese economy not slowing down Chinese stocks. The K-Web, the ETF that tracks Internet names, up almost 19% in July. And the large-cap ETF, the FXI, up close to 12%. So does this Beijing bounce have legs? We'll break that down. And later, inside crude summer surge, SoFi's Monster Monday, the ripple effect on the payment stocks, and the options action ahead of Starbucks earnings. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, Guy Adami, and Julie Beal. And we start off with an under-the-radar rally in the tech sector. Yes, the mega caps, the AI-focused semis have been stealing the spotlight of late, but there are some other pockets of strength that you may not have noticed. Check out the moves in software names like Datadog, Adobe, and Snowflake, all significantly higher today. Media names also on the move. Paramount, Netflix, Warner Brothers, Discovery, all well in the green. And the gig economy stocks on the go. Uber, DoorDash, and Lyft feeling the love. So what does this broadening out of the tech rally tell you about the market? Are you more hopeful, Dan Nathan? I ask sarcastically. Yeah, you know, you know what's interesting? Uh, one thing, the gig ones are really interesting mm-hmm. to me because I think those were models that were heavily debated. They saw the pull forward during the pandemic. They rose to crazy heights in 2020 into 2021. They were some of the first ones that started to sell off. And obviously, Uber is a little different. They had some different uh, dynamics going on between rideshare and delivery. But if you look at Airbnb and if you look at Uber, that's going to report. I know we're going to talk about it later. Those stocks are both $100 billion market cap companies right now. They've had massive rallies over the last few months, and they've gone from you know, probably decent market size to very large, if you think about it in, in the, uh, uh, you know, just in the context of the uh, NASDAQ 100. So those and how they react to their earnings and guidance, I think, are going to be really important. Um, you know, the valuations are kind of getting a little stretched up here. Um, I do think it's interesting, though, if we look at the semis. And today, you know, we had that Intel move. It was up 6.5% on Friday after its results and guidance. Give half of that back today. And Taiwan Semi, which guided a few weeks ago, um, has also been kind of stuck in the mud a little bit. That's why I think that AMD report and guide is going to be really interesting. But we have seen a rotation out of semis into these other names. And I think that is bullish if you're thinking about it is bullish. I'm not saying I'm bullish. I, I heard it is bullish, right? It is. No, no, no. But it is bullish. I mean, there's no way to, to say it otherwise. No way to say it otherwise. Hi, Mel. Oh, hi, Guy. Tim looks great. Today. We were talking about that before his hair, the show. His hair looks a little bit different, yeah, it's, it's, but, this, but equally it's, good. It's, it's really. just, I'm just going to say it's a fresh shower, which doesn't mean I don't usually shower, but it's, there's a lot of information for the it's folks at home. It's wet, not gel. So okay, now we can move on. We got that out of so the Snowflake is interesting, right? It's obviously rallied significantly from the lows that we saw. It was ridiculously overvalued at its peak. We talked about it. Dan mentioned it. Now it's approaching close to 18 times revenue again. They report in a couple weeks. It's one of these names that will probably levitate into earnings, and it's going to have to prove itself. When I say levitate, 197 was sort of a breakdown level a couple years ago. But Oracle, on the other hand, reasonable valuation, which is within a whisper of its all-time high. I mean, that's a stock you could actually sort of wrap your arms around in terms of valuation, in terms of what they're doing. If you recall, Mel, which you do, Oracle was one of the O's, the only O, in my hope trade way back when. It is, it is acquitted Not itself gone. extraordinarily well. Excuse Not me. Gone. 
Dawn was a different one. Dawn has no O in it. It was Hope Dawn. Yeah. I mean, unless you spell it sort of fugazi. I don't know. We are so distracted tonight. Sorry about um, that. Sorry. Getting back to this rally, because it does seem like there's a churn, at least even within the tech sector, into some of the more sort of value pockets, if you want to call it that. Well, and then and then there's also the high multiple ones like a CrowdStrike and, and a Snowflake and a Datadog. And, and what we've learned out of the AI hype that's hung over the industry and the question, first the, the first question was, was this going to trigger some kind of a, an AI CapEx spend within mega cap tech? And is that a reason to go buy it? And I think we're getting some follow through on that. Um, if you're going to follow through on AI spend, if there's always room for AI spend, maybe at the expense of CPU or people like Intel, there's also room for cyber. There's also room for some of these high-end software names. That's what this has told me, and that's what we're seeing on the follow-through here. So, and, and guys, Adobe. I mean, you look at a couple of these names, and it is guys, Adobe, because he's often <laughs> he's often talking about a company that he's often right about is usually trading at a higher multiple, and it continues to re-rate. Um, if you look at the other parts of the market, though, look at energy coming back. Look at look at in other words. So the parts of the market that are the other side of the growth barbell. You're actually seeing commodities come back. You're actually seeing some of these uh, industrial names that involve some cyclicality. And then the media rally today, I don't know that you think media's fortunes have changed overnight, but listening to Facebook, listening to Google, we're getting an understanding about what's going on with ad spending. It all leads up to that recession in name only um, is, is what it is now. I just think it's pushing it all out. That's what everybody's now doing. I think there's still a big cry for recession. It's now at the second half of 24 instead of the first half of 24, and that's what's going on for the market. Julie, how do you feel about this rally, seeing the broadening that we've seen in recent weeks and months, um, but also the churn within the tech sector. Yeah, I think the broadening is important and it is a positive indication. But at the end of the day, the things that, you know, we pay the most attention to are still the fundamentals and they're uneven, right? You, you know, you see in high quality software, you still see that deal cycles, deal sales cycles are pretty long. There's still hesitation. And I think that, that until that gets resolved, it's hard to get super enthusiastic because that's, you know, at the end of the day, the fundamentals really do have to matter. And so what I worry about is, you know, when we get Snowflake trading at, you know, 20 times revenue, it starts to just be narrative. And eventually narrative has to be backed up with fundamentals. So I'm a little concerned here. You know, it's interesting what Tim just said. So this recession, in name only, that's been pushed out Rhino. to the back. It's been pushed Rhino. out to the back half of 2024. Really trying to push. No, that. but there's, there's a lot of acronyms out there. There was no. Tina. There's Rhino. Anyway, Guy, guy's sorry. got them all down. He, he writes them down in the little scratch sure. pad there. Um, but I just think it's interesting that if you think about how much value has been accrued to this AI story, it's let's call it a couple trillion across some of these big mega caps, and, and, mm -hmm. and these other ones are coming and joining the party now. A lot of them are going to tell us in their guidance over this quarter or next quarter that they're not going to actually really see a meaningful impact to their earnings until the back half of 2024. You know what I mean? So so right now we've had this, you know, multiple expansion. We, we've seen this market that is, does feel uneven, but we're talking about the broadening out that's happening right now. We're seeing some pretty decent rotations to Tim's point and it's some more cyclical sort of areas. But if things do start to slow and let's just say the pull forward was on the valuation front, not as much on the fundamental front, then you have a disconnect and then you have a little bit of a problem. So to me, just as tidy as the sell-off was in 2022, it seems to be we might might be in for the same sort of thing where we had a down 20 some percent uh, move in the S&P 500 last year. We have an up 20 some percent move this year. And who knows what next year? Maybe next year is the year of a 20 percent or 20 point VIX, not a 14 VIX. You know what I mean? Because right now, no one's pricing in any volatility on a week like this with all these big earnings. You know, um, we have Apple and Amazon on Thursday. Got a payroll number on Friday. Yeah, yeah. 1% yeah. implied move in the S&P for the week. That's it. There's just no fear anywhere.
Yeah. Uh, we got that from Microsoft, actually, right? A later ramp than expected in terms of yeah. revenues attributed to AI. But, you know, to Tim's point, doesn't there have to be some place that gives up because of the spend on AI? If you're an enterprise and you've got a budget. You can't spend money right? on everything, you right? Can't spend, yeah, they, well, Intel kind of said that, right? I mean, they, right. And, they and, and even though their numbers were better and they actually showed some strength in data center and some places they've been getting destroyed, um, I, there's no question, and there's not an unlimited capex supply for spend right now, and I think it has to give somewhere. I just, you know, I do think that there are parts of the spend now that are a lot sexier, a lot more relevant, and a lot more necessary. Um, I, I think back to the market we have right now, though. I almost feel like you are kind of closing the book on this run. I mean, we're 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 really back to all-time highs again. We pretty much capped the Fed out. The Fed, the Fed has one or two, um, probably just one more hikes, maybe not even one more. And, and I think at this point, it, it's safe to say. Look, there was no recession. The consumer is better. This, the cycles and, and the, the, the way this is unfolding is taking a lot longer as it probably should. That's really easy to see in hindsight. The question is now, what do you do when you look at, you know, there's some data out this morning in terms of the National Association of Active Money Managers. It, we're, we're basically at November 21 levels in terms of positioning of active managers. It means people have chased. They've chased a lot back in. We're at levels now that feel actually a little uncomfortable to me because I think you've gotten this, this move where so many people were offside. So um, I, I'm not saying that the world isn't a better place, but after this move we've had and after positioning has changed so much and sentiment has changed so much, it's hard to get really bullish here. You know, the, the pain trade was to the upside Clearly. for year to date. And it almost feels like, well, when is that pain trade to the downside going to? I mean, it almost feels like we are in that place. Whenever you hear somebody saying, you know what, soft landing or no landing, it, it sort of makes you think. You love that term. How can everybody. No landing. You, what? You no say that to me, that. you try again. Everybody tries to aggravate me on a Monday. You Boom. can't do it. I'm in such a Boom. great mood. Now, that's, we have to wait for October for that. Are you really in a good mood? I'm tremendous. I really am. I mean, the trade deadline's coming up. I mean, a lot of things happen. <laughs> oh, man. Here we go. Um, getting back. <laughs> yes, to this no, point you're now. right about that. I mean, people, the pain trade was to the upside, without question. Why do I know that? Because I've been fighting it the entire year since December, clearly trying to find the bearish narrative, which is there, but the market doesn't seem to acknowledge it. When's it going to sort of grab hold? I don't know. Into the fall makes sense. And I do think there's going to be this reacceleration of inflation. A lot of people are writing about that now, which yeah. is one of the reasons I think the Fed is as hawkish as they are. A lot of this move over the last couple of months, I think, has been predicated on this somewhat misguided belief that in the beginning of next year, they're going to be rate cuts. I just don't see that happening. Yeah. I mean, the so-called base effects start to wear off, Julie. So inflation won't necessarily keep going down into the back half. We've got consumers having to pay off student loan bills uh, in the fall. All these other pressures entering the picture. Right, and we don't have the, whatever it is, $200 billion benefit of lower oil prices. That's gonna also be pretty impactful and it's very psychologically meaningful to people when that starts to hit them hard. So I, I do worry a lot about the consumer. And you know, I think back to you know December, January, it was just a foregone conclusion that there was gonna be a recession. Literally my art school teacher was telling me as much. And I think now the fact that everyone is starting to capitulate and say, you know what, maybe no recession. You know what, maybe everything's just gonna be fine. That is actually what makes me worry a little bit more, that we are all feeling pretty sanguine about things. Yeah. Our next guest sees cracks in this summer rally. Julian Emanuel is the Senior Managing Director at Evercore ISI. Julian, always good to see you. You just recently raised your price target right on the S&P 500 to basically a little bit below where we are right now. Um, so what kind of cracks are you seeing? Well, look, so, and again, Guy alluded to this. This market has squeezed a lot of people, and frankly, in a momentum market like this, and we have to acknowledge, 
This is actually one of the greatest momentum markets of our lifetime. The NASDAQ has annualized at 100% since the bank crisis bottom in March. Um, so from our point of view, look, this is very much about the fact that the market's bifurcating into fear and greed, okay? Greed we know. Actually, when we think about it, the technology names that have run as far as they have been are sort of in the throes of rational exuberance, okay? Rational exuberance meaning that when you look out particularly into 24 and 25, the spend is going to be there for AI. Corporates have told us as much, but you still got to get from here to there, and these stocks have moved, uh, whereas other areas like energy, healthcare, have really been more beset by fear uh, until recently now energy has started to rally. Um, China has started to rally. And the incredible thing about this market is that once price momentum starts moving, it takes on a life of its own. So we want to sort of be cognizant of that coming into August and September. Why does the market go down every September? It's really kind of hard to say. It's perhaps as much a mood thing as anything else. And I would only point out this, is that we should be careful what we wish for. If we don't want or don't think the market goes down in September, the last two years where the market didn't go down in September, 2018, where you had a massive bear market in the fourth quarter, and 2007, I don't need to tell you what happened those next two years. So to position yourself for that crack that you think is going to happen sometime in the next few months, do you want to be in the fear part of the market or in the greed part of the market? So we actually want to be in both because you have to differentiate between the short and the long term here. The, again, the, the, the part where there's been fear we do think there's a very viable long-term uh, uh, thesis, particularly in energy and, and in healthcare. But at the same time, we do like those, call it, quote, unquote, AI-type names. But you need to hedge. The perfect example, the summer of 1999, the NASDAQ fell 14%, and the stock that is the highest market cap stock in 2023 fell 29% to a split-adjusted price of 51.3 cents, and it's 190-something now. That's why you have to figure out how to be a long-term holder when there's going to be volatility. You're recommending using the cues as a hedge, right? I mean, because basically, when you're betting on AI, that's, you're betting on the NASDAQ. <laughs> a absolutely, and, and lo and behold, Chair Powell has given us an opportunity to hedge because the higher interest rates move, the more attractive selling calls against your position becomes, and the more attractive it is to finance downside puts. And, th and that's what looks interesting to us, particularly into October, which again has the seasonals. And we're not even saying you need to decline. If, if, if this position were static, you would just need to annualize, call it below 30%, to not lose money on that kind of hedge. At the beginning of the year, you started out, or you know, towards the beginning of the year, you started with the price target on the S&P that was 41. 41.50. What do you, we're talking about the pain trade higher? What do you think you missed about the the moves that we've seen year to date? It was, uh, you know, Bruce Springsteen. We were waiting for the moment that just don't come. And that was wow. the recession. It's nice work, by the way. Well, you Pulling know, Badlands. Some, some, we talked about Led Zeppelin know, in, in the green room. That's what we do here. But you really came to the table with something big there. Well, nice. you know, so look, and, 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 and frankly, again, 
This is one of these things what we underestimated was the fact that money supply increased so profoundly in 2020, 2021, and the Fed was still buying bonds in the first half of 2022, that all of this tightening that we've had has not been enough to counteract it. There's still a pandemic stimulus uh, savings pool there. The labor market's good. You don't have a recession with those conditions. So walk me through that when you raise your price target to 44 and change, finally, what was sort of the worry that went through your head about, I don't want to say throwing in the towel because it is still downside from where we are currently, but about boosting your outlook? No, the, 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 the worry was that valuation mm -hmm. might have been too extreme. But what we found is something that we found in the 90s, that you can actually still make money in the stock market with interest rates at five or six percent. Right. Julian, it's always great to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. Julian Emanuel, Evercore ISI. Why are you laughing at? No, because he's dropping Bruce. I mean, it's fantastic. You're just like, la, 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 la. I, I Badlands, by the way, top 10 Bruce song. I mean, I don't know where Tim comes top down. 10. <laughs> top 10. Top three. Yeah, I mean, uh, like born in the run. USA, we, we can put it at the bottom of the list. So let's just do that, right? I, I, I think it's what we wanted. Isn't that what we wanted to establish here? I was so done with yeah. this right I don't now. even know. It's already, it's the A block. Oh, the greetings from Asbury the... Park. I mean, uh, growing up. I think up, you got born, born to run. You got, uh, got uh, coming up. Road. Spirits in the night. Yeah, Backstreets is the greatest Bruce Coming out a potential, I'm talking, oh. a potential plot twist for Disney's corner office pushing shares higher. We dive into whether it could be a fairy tale for the stock. Plus, July's biggest sector gainer, energy surging to its highest level since mid-April. A look inside this high-octane trade. Fast Money will be right back. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Disney shares jumping 3% today on a report that CEO Bob Iger is bringing back two former execs as consultants for the media giant. Tom Staggs and Kevin Mayer, who were at one time considered as Iger's successors, now run the Blackstone-backed Candle Media, have been hired by Disney to advise on the direction of its legacy TV business and ESPN. The move also coming just weeks after Disney's board extended Iger's contract for two years, renewing questions about the company's succession plan. And of course, remember that interview that David Faber had with Bob Iger. He basically said that everything was was open to, I mean, the legacy TV business may not be the core anymore, which is really, you know, revolutionary sort of in the, in the minds of Disney investors. August 9th, they reported. So that's next Wednesday, I believe. Right. So the question is, what's going to happen to that? You figured maybe they already did the kitchen sink thing, or maybe this could be the one where they just put it all out on the table. 
The fact that we traded down and effectively held the levels we saw in the throes of 2020 is encouraging. The question you have to ask yourself is, what's your upside here? Is your upside maybe 98 to 100, where other stocks have more beta? So I think it's a good that we traded down there and held. I think they're going to kitchen sink it on the ninth. Julie, what do you think? Yeah, I think there's definitely the potential for them to really pull back and think about how they're spending their capital. You know, it's been a huge benefit to them to have this writer strike because I think everyone is starting to wake up and realize that streaming is incredibly painfully expensive to do and super competitive. So, in a way, they've been they bought a little bit of time with this strike and I think Iger's comments reflect that a little bit. But looking forward, I, I think, how do you think about a business that, how can this business get back to you know, the structural margins it achieved of you know, 25% operating margins? It's nowhere near that. And I think until there's clarity on the profitability, the stock is a little bit stuck. I know it seems crazy to say like old friends, new tricks. How about old friends, old tricks? But I, I feel like the old tricks are why you want to own Disney right now. I've, I feel like you're, you're, you're looking at theme parks. You're looking at what's actually working. I realize pricing probably can't go a whole lot higher. I realize you had a, a pent-up demand dynamic that's going to change. But I, I think Disney's studio, whenever it does reemerge, and, and, and it will. I mean, this strike has been painful for a lot of people, and it's going to be continue to be, but it's going to end. And Disney Studio is one of those money. You know, it's basically it's a machine that keeps delivering for the entire flywheel of Disney. So um, selling Disney here, guys, right? I think the performance of the stock on the downside, someone who's long and some this has been one of the worst charts and worst performers Look, relative to Netflix, relative to the S&P, um, you know, maybe not relative to Warner Brothers, but that's not Disney's yardstick. This is one of the best run companies historically in the world. So it's great that you got the old crew back together again. But, you know, frankly, um, it, it's. They're going to need to do something different, even though Disney's old playbook is what should save the company right now. Yeah, and, and if you know Kevin Mayer, the guy's a stud. And if you think about what he has done since he's left Disney, right? So he was a CEO for a bit at TikTok. Um, mm -hmm. He's been involved in private equity. He's been involved in Smash Capital, which is also VC. He took a company public uh, on a board via SPAC. So I think there's some new tricks there. You know what I mean? So I, I think it makes sense to bring in some old blood with some new views on how to do this, because ESPN is a gem, right, of, of this whole, um, you know, operation here, and they're probably going to come up with some creative ways to better monetize it. I mean, he could also be the next CEO. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, he did, he left because he was not going to be the, right. Yeah. Going to be the CEO, and so did Tom Staggs. Right. And here we are, two potential people. Uh, Bob Iger has to sign on for two more years because there isn't anybody in sight. Maybe these two are potentials. But again, Tom Rogers was here a couple weeks ago saying that the fixes for Disney are going to take anywhere Walter. from 18 months to two years at least, right? So do you get ahead of it in terms of the stock? Again, the fact that we traded down to those levels and held is a good sign, but how much upside in the short term, I'm not sure. All right. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Starbucks earnings on deck. Will investors get a jolt or burn? The options action on that name ahead. Plus, are you looking for an energizing rally? Oil prices at their highest level in over three months, and it's taking energy stocks with it. We'll drill down in that sector next. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. We've got a news alert for you related to Jeffrey Epstein. Contessa Brewer has that story. Contessa. Melissa, lawyers for the U.S. Virgin Islands told a federal judge that J.P. Morgan Chase handled more than $1 million in payments from Jeffrey Epstein to what they described as girls or women after the bank terminated Epstein as a client. In a new letter filed this afternoon, lawyers from the Office of the U.S. Virgin Islands Attorney General detailed more than 9,000 transactions paid out to Epstein-related accounts between 2005 and 2019 that were not disclosed during the court-mandated evidence exchange window. We have reached out to J.P. Morgan for comment and we'll bring you any response that they have, Melissa. All right, Contessa, thank you, sure. Contessa Brewer. Meanwhile, crude oil closing out its best month, dating all the way back to January 2022. WTI surging by a percent and a half today, ending July up almost 16 percent to finish at almost 82 bucks a share. The move in the commodity pumping energy stocks higher. It was the best performing S&P sector in July with the XLE Energy ETF notching its best month since October. Chevron got an upgrade today. That helped Exxon saying that it's going to supply lithium uh, to companies, battery companies, car companies, et cetera. That helped, too. Yeah, I, I think for energy, it's really right down the core of, of what they're doing, which is is paying down debt and, and having payout levels to shareholders that are almost in competition with each other. Uh, I go back to Schlumberger, which after such a tough run for the entire sector, is now back at new highs for this cycle or effectively right there because they were able to reaffirm in their in their second quarter numbers just how profitable the business is going to be at a time when I think the offshore drilling segment is actually really starting to pick up momentum. So I believe these are stocks you can stay here at these runs. And I think we're doing it. Remember, a lot of this run was done when oil was on its way down. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's now that view that this is not just a trade. It's an investment. Reasonable valuations. I mean, Chevron topped out not coincidentally when they announced that $75 billion stock buyback in November of last year sold off pretty precipitously but you know what we held some levels and now we're on the upturn exxon mobile probably within a few percent of an all-time high but you said at the top of the show oih is now at a four-year high i think from the spring of 2019 with a lot of runway left because so many listen schlumberger halliburton and baker hughes to a lesser extent still reasonable on valuation i think they go higher and energy 2019 levels in terms of demand we know the China slowdown. That was one of the reasons it sold off as precipitously as it did, on top of which the rotation into big tech and out of energy. That's all going to start to unwind, and I think energy is going to be a beneficiary. Yeah, Julie? I think from a trading perspective, energy makes a lot of sense. You know, the valuations are much less extended and the fundamentals actually look pretty okay. You know, I think for our longer term investors, it's really hard to get excited when, you know, you have just so much volatility in terms of the commodity and so little control for these companies. But I would say that the larger cap businesses, they really seem to have gotten religion in terms of being able to control their capacity and limit their supply. And I I think that's that's going to be important for them longer term. Right. Coming up, the China rebound, the K-Web's winning July, uh, pulling the ETF back into the green for the year. But can the rally hold or next guest think so? He'll lay out his case and sipping on Starbucks. Options traders are getting caffeinated ahead of earnings. Oh, we'll nice. have that order up in two. Oh. Mm. Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money podcast. We're back right after this. 
Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks. Closing out the month near the highs of the session, the Dow rising 100 points for its 15th gain in 16 days. The Nasdaq and S&P also climbing into positive territory in the last 15 minutes of the day. The gain solidifying a solid July for all the major averages. The Nasdaq and S&P clocking their fifth straight month of gains, their longest winning streak in about two years. And Apple posting another record close as it inches toward the $200 level. Check out uh, some of the stocks making moves after hours. Avis rising on a big beat on earnings. The rental car company saying it sees elevated peak period demand. Western Ditch, that's dropping despite top and bottom line beats. The stock's down 2%. And Yum China also dropping in spite of record revenue and operating profit. That stock is down 3.5% right now. Uh, Tim, I think you own Yumsi. I don't own oh. Yumsi now, but it's a stock I've traded. And certainly remember the days when we spun off Yum China from Yum yeah. and it was that was supposed to be the growth engine and Yum actually U.S. actually outperformed. And and Yum China really has seen extraordinary growth year over year, especially coming out of the, the lockdown in China. The valuation is, is far from uh, expensive at this point, but the stocks had a major, major run. I think that's really what you're talking about here. Margins, I think, run into a little bit of pressure. There are some parts of the growth story. They're rolling out Case K Coffee, excuse me, which is a, you know, a whole line of coffee stores, which I actually think will work. They're not going to challenge Starbucks in China yet, but I do think it's an interesting story. I think you're buying weakness. You don't have to buy it here. You know, there was weakness. You just said this, and I'm probably off script here a little bit. If they could pull up the day chart of the S&P 500, you said it eked out a gain on the day. I mean, right before the close, it was down on the day. Look at this thing. It was like, talk about that, that term we use every once in a while, window dressing sure. at month end. Mm-hmm. It's, a pretty, it's pretty goofy, like what, what happened here. Um, and then one last thing. Look at that right there. Russell 2000. Can we pull that up? I think oh, they have a chart yeah. there. So this is uh, an index of how many stocks, guys? Well, if you with Russell 2000, yeah. probably who's, about 2000. Who's buried in Grant's tomb? It's, it's, uh, yes. It's, yeah. it's got a $3 trillion market cap, which is equal to that of Apple. And, and this thing, you know, we talked about that broadening out trade. I mean, you want to see this thing break out, right? Like, th- this would be the thing. And it's gotten up to that level here. And if it can't get above, what, 2030 or something like that, that would be a thing. I don't know. I would just bring it back to That's some of these charts. I think it's kind of interesting because I think the technicals, once we get through a bunch of these earnings this week, I think there's going to be a lot of that other stuff. Tim just said it's not going to be less Fed. It's going to be like some technical stuff. Mm-hmm. 2000 is a key level for the 2000, Julie. And I actually thought of you this morning when we were talking about it on Squawkham Street. Uh, I, you know, it's interesting to see the the broadening out happening in, you know, the smaller cap names. You know, it's still the same rules always apply when you're investing in small cap. I don't think this is a benchmark that you really want to do with an ETF. I think you want to be able to comb through and find, you know, fundamentally strong businesses because they are more cyclically sensitive. They tend to have more leverage. And, you know, if we did get into tougher sledding, I, I think that really starts to impact the sector, the the, the group overall. All right. The China Internet ETF KWEB wrapping up its third best month on record. The fund up nearly 19 percent in July. Our next guest says there may be more good news ahead for investors. Let's bring in David Riedel. He is a founder of the Riedel Research Group. David, good to see you. Um, we haven't gotten the massive stimulus as we've seen from Beijing in the past. Um, I thought it was interesting when I was reading through your notes that you say that what's happening with Russia pulling out of the Black Sea Grain Initiative, actually that, that could be the prompt for Beijing to do more stimulus. Can you explain? That's right. That's right. People aren't really paying attention to this, but China is the biggest buyer of Ukrainian grain. And so with the breakdown in that uh, Black Sea grain initiative, uh, the pressures on Beijing are going to be extreme in terms of food price inflation. So they're huge importers of of that wheat. Uh, They may have been stockpiling a little bit uh, ahead of that breakdown in that agreement, but that's a stockpile of weeks, not months. And so I would be very concerned about food price inflation in China, which can really hurt. Now, that could be a bad news, good news story 
because that could really prompt Beijing into a stimulus pattern. Hey, David, it's Tim. Let's talk about Big Brother in China and the pressure that's been on a lot of these Internet names, frankly, more than any other sector. Um, what's your view? Has the dust cleared? Is, is, you know, the Baidu news, excuse me, we, Baba news, we talk about a lot on this desk. I'm long. I've been adding to a position. Um, yeah. Is that something you can actually feel safe buying? I think that, that that's behind us for now, Tim. I think that Beijing's not going to cause trouble on, on any front, any investment front that they can avoid. That would be a, very much a, a self-inflicted wound. So I think you see Beijing pull back from that a little bit, pull back from there, focus on corruption and other things. I think Xi's political position is very strong. I think the urban uh, youth in, uh, unemployment is a problem. The prospect of food uh, price inflation is a problem. The issues in the property sector is a problem. So they're not going to do something self-inflicted like the tech crackdown. David, in August of 2015, we saw the yuan devaluation. Markets then just got across the world flummoxed by what happened there. Are we on the verge, potentially, precipice of something like that again? You know, I don't think China's going to try to export their way out of this. They've already absorbed quite a lot of drops in exports. Uh, they had a 12% drop uh, last month alone. They're really focused on domestic consumption, things that they can control at home. They know the external environment is, is rough. So I think watch, watch more for fiscal-type stimulus, uh, white goods stimulus is a popular tool that they use that they might pull out. They've got stimulus uh, now and, and benefits on EV, people buying EVs and so on and so forth. They really need those Chinese consumers to loosen up their pocketbooks a little bit and have a little more confidence. Yeah, they also need them to invest in the stock market, David. And, you know, the ho Chinese households are very indebted. They were much more impacted by rolling um, shutdowns in their economy. They didn't get the stimulus checks that we did here in the United States. And so they're under a lot more stress even now with no lockdowns um, and no COVID measures in place. And so I'm wondering, you know, if, if you think that's a priority there. We've got foreign investors, you know, fleeing or out the door already. And Chinese retail investors who usually make up, what, 60 percent of the volume in the Chinese stock market, not wanting to get back in. That's right. And as you know, the old, the old saying in China is, as goes the property market, so goes the stock market. So people are going to be worried about their savings. They're going to be in cash. Uh, they're concerned about the property, uh, the value of, value of their property. It's one of the reasons I wouldn't buy one of the broader indexes, like an FXI, which is very banks heavy. Uh, I, would, I would cherry pick individual names uh, that can benefit as consumer discretionary spending sort of backs off a little bit. Let's wait for some evidence from Beijing about what they're going to do on the stimulus front. Uh, but I wouldn't buy broad based in China today. I'd be very selective. What do you think? Which stocks do you think have the all clear um, for a U.S. investor to be in at this point, David? So I'd be a buyer of Baidu. I think you're going to have a, you know, have a whole generation of people that grew up with Baidu. They're going to continue to use their products. I think Baidu has some benefits still coming from AI and so on and so forth, which is a big national uh, focus uh, for the government. Also, I'd, I'd look back at uh, New Oriental Education. Uh, this is a, a for-profit education company uh, that does a lot on, on uh, cramming for exams. Uh, during times of unemployment, the Chinese do spend a lot of time and energy on uh, improving their skills and their training, and New Oriental is well-positioned to benefit from that. All right, David, good to see you. Thank you. David Riedel, Riedel Research. And of course, China has a huge youth unemployment issue. So if, if <laughs> people are seeking to sharpen their skills, and maybe EDU is one way. EDU, it, it's a great name. David's reminded, because again, this is a name that was a big part of investing in some of the new internet and, and dot-com stocks back in China. Uh, 
Also, we, we talk about China being critical for getting EM right or vice versa. And EM at 42.50 is about to break through one-year highs if you think the dollar's peaked here. So I think China is pulling the entire asset class up. That move in BABA, which, which I think continues to go higher, is very impressive here. Let's pull up a BABA chart real quick because it definitely saw its room. We've mentioned Y19 a couple times on this show. Earnings in a couple weeks. That was a high we made back in January. And again, last summer, I think July. So I think it continues this levitation up to the 119 level. And then we'll have a conversation again. All right. Coming up, SoFi going sky high today. What the CEO had to say about the fintech's path to profitability and what the strength could mean for the rest of the industry. One of our traders is breaking it down. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. SoFi topping the tape today, soaring to its highest level in more than a year. The company posting a smaller loss than expected, raising its full-year revenue guidance thanks to surging deposits and demand for personal loans. CEO Anthony Noto laying out a path to profitability for the company's financial service segment. So the lending business on a contribution profit basis has been very profitable. The technology business also pretty profitable, um, but we've made a big investment in the last five years in building out the number of checking savings accounts and acquiring them, as well as credit card and invest. How does this translate to uh, the other stocks in the space, Dan? Really interesting. And, and the dynamics around the student loans, repayments, mm-hmm. everything, I think is obviously giving them some kind of wind in their sales. I think Anthony has been, uh, you know, really surgical and how they built this business away from that core lending business. So, so kudos to them. You know, PayPal, Coin, Splock, they all report this week. It's interesting. You know, all those stocks, I think at their you know, lows just recently were down, what, 80 some percent or so. And some have had bigger runs than other. PayPal is the one to me. It trades below market multiple. I remember sitting here on the desk with this crew right here and I remember the stock was down like seven eight percent I was like I think you just buy it you know and it kept on going lower of course I buy the thing that's down at 52 week lows and and I did buy it and then it got back to these levels so it's right back at those levels it trades well below many of its peers well below a market multiple I thought that guidance was conservative I think this one probably sets up okay here and I think it has valuation support so this is one I'm most focused on in the fintech space this week I'm long PayPal I've been long for probably six weeks I think it's going a lot higher I think we've seen major stabilization in their business. Look, Venmo is still a global standard. It's still a case where people really think uh, they were losing margins. There were some questions about what were really the number of accounts. I think we've been through a lot of noise. Of all the mega cap tech stocks that have done nothing, this is the one whose business I think is very solid and has given very little credit. I think this goes a lot higher. 86 was like one of the closing lows in March of 2020. Think about that. To Dan's point, we breached all those levels. But that's where it should sort of trend back up to percentage-wise from here, it's a decent move. So I think it'd probably go higher in earnings. Yeah. Julie, are you also um, fanboying on PayPal? (laughs) I'd be more comfortable with PayPal than SoFi. You know, Mm -hmm. I think SoFi has set up a lot of interesting dynamics in its business. The thing is, is it's, you know, it's never been through a recession. And so we don't actually know the quality of their underwriting. It's great for them to say, you know, our book looks great, but it's really hard to know until it really gets stressed. And so I think I'd be more comfortable with PayPal, where I think they've really started to make inroads, particularly on the e-commerce side. You're seeing more and more of it. And so they're they're proving a, a relatively good competitor to Shopify. And so I think there's still a lot of potential in there. A lot of the space hasn't gone through a recession, though. I mean, <laughs> PayPal has, um, but others have not. And so, I mean, how much is that really should factor in. I mean, the average credit score in the second quarter for SoFi, like the new direct deposit accounts, 747. 
which is pretty really cool. high. Wow. Really good FICO score. Well, it's interesting when you mention that recession. I don't Sounds know if like your SAT score. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, yours was probably no, Julie, no. Julie didn't get the memo about the recession. Well, for just math, I mean. I mean, oh, math okay. or yeah, yeah, yeah. was one of the two. I mean, you just double it. You get 1,500. Anyway. I'm sure that's... Upset about yeah, that. Julie didn't get the memo. Right. Julie, there's there's no recession. It's never happening again. I mean, so these companies Sorry, don't have to worry about that. Um, but it's interesting what happened to buy now, pay later, mm-hmm. and some of these other yeah. models, these financing models. I mean, some of them did not hold up, you know. So um, again, you know, maybe maybe uh, these guys have figured it out. I think the one thing about SoFi is you think about it. If they if their like gateway drug to this consumer is refinancing a college loan, you know what I mean? I think generally they have a higher FICO score um, than they're probably better credits than. Right. than Good point. Yeah. All right, coming up, we are diving into the options pits to get a read on a huge slate of consumer earnings this week. We'll zero in on one name that could be about to brew up some big mm. gains. That's the hint. <laughs> More fast money in two. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is sitting down with the CEO of agriculture equipment maker, CNH Industrial. You can catch the full interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. Meantime, we've got a huge slate of earnings ahead this week. Consumer names like Amazon, DoorDash, Uber, Airbnb, and Starbucks all on deck. But while many of these names have rallied this year, Starbucks has been relatively flat, up less than 2.5%. Will this week's numbers get the stock percolating higher? Tim? I kind of hope not. I, I think I, I think they're going to do what they did in their Q1, which is they're going to talk about some stagnating growth. They're going to talk about some margin pressure. And, and I think they've had a great environment for pricing power. And I think some of that's in favor. I, I'm long 25 percent of my original position. I, I actually I think I uh, I sold puts and probably got some of that put back to me after selling calls into that number. In other words, I want to own it lower. I think I will own it lower. I think 95 is where you want to own Starbucks. And then either way, I, I think it's a great stock to own. There's nothing broken here. Uh, But it's been a a very strong run off of a terrible bottom coming out late last year. Yeah. Julie? Yeah, I think what's interesting about this business is trying to figure out how much more productivity they can get out of their existing stores and also what's going to happen in China. And so I think if you own this business, you have to have a pretty strong point of view on both of them because they mean so much for margins and, and top line growth. And so their model that they set out in their analyst day to me looks pretty aggressive. And so I think investor expectations are actually fairly high, uh, particularly in terms of guidance. So I think that's going to be make or break for the stock going forward. What's your outlook, guy? I look at it and I'm saying to myself, it is hauntingly familiar to like a Nike, for example. They've mm. traded pretty similarly and probably they should. Obviously, a lot of China exposure. I'm sort of with Tim on this one. 26 times next year's is not ridiculous for Starbucks, but it might be a little expensive in this environment. So I think you're waiting for an entry level. The same way Tim's waiting, I think, for the high 90s in Nike, I think you're waiting for probably the low 90s for Starbucks. Costs are coming down, I would think. I mean, everything but wages. They are. And, but, but if you think about it, that is the stickiest part of their of right. their of their expense profile. And it's it's the part that I think is actually what we haven't really priced in. They were able to raise prices to keep mm-hmm. pace with that wage gains. And I, I we we don't need to get in my Starbucks frustrations anymore. But, but, but a, a four dollar and twenty three cent large coffee with nothing else in it. No, no shots of hazelnut. Why are you looking at me? Get, See, why do you bring me into the conversation? I don't put hazelnut in. Put some if you want to buy me, if you see me at Starbucks, medicine ball. Exactly. Or peach tea. Get me a medicine ball. If you want to get on my good side, get me a medicine What's ball. What's a medicine ball? It's old school Starbucks. It's like Look off it up. The Go menu to your Google or something machine. Crazy. I don't even know what Secret you're talking about. Secret menu at Starbucks. Now, now you're going to have America looking That's for weird. it. All right. One options traders betting Starbucks earnings could brew up more losses for the stock. Mike Co has the action. Mike? 
Yeah, so the options market right now implying a move of about 5%. That's slightly more than the 4% it's averaged over the last eight quarters. Although, as you pointed out last May when they reported, they dropped about 9% following that disappointing result. The most active contracts were the September 80 and 90 puts. That the result of a purchase of the 90-80 one by two put spread. And actually, this didn't really cost them a whole lot since they were selling two of those 80s for every one of the 90s that they bought. And I think it's kind of an interesting low cost way to make a downside bet, but then actually effectively get long at that $80 level if it really did decline between now and September expiration. Seems like a Tim Seymour trade. It sounds like it does sound it like so, a, it sounds like what's going like exactly on here. Exactly what you want well, to do. Look, I mean, if Mike says it's a good trade, I'm following. No, it. no, but it, it all is also the sort of trade that lines up, I think, with your view of the way the stock is trading there. That if it goes sideways, you don't have a lot of risk on. And if it goes much lower, you're going to put, put the you're stock at a level it. you feel yeah. okay with. Yep. Mike, thanks, Mike Co. For more options action, tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5:30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, final trades. For the final trade, let's go around the horn. Julie Beal. You know, it's been the real death of insure tech, and the reason why is those data assets are hard to get. Veris has them and the 50% EBITDA margins to prove it. Tim Seymour. EEM, we talked to emerging markets. If you look at a double bottom, I think Carter talked about this last week on the OA as well, maybe even on our show, but again, back in October and here in March and even the last couple of weeks, EEM. Dan. Yeah, Tim's PayPal, I think if you're looking to play into the print, the at the money calls are pretty cheap, about 3% at the money. It's like a good risk reward. Big week for earnings, Mel, as you yeah, know. But it's also a big week if you're a baseball fan, which you are. So in the short time that we have left, if you're met senior management, are you moving Verlander for the right piece? I think the yes. question is, if you're Yankee senior management, why are you not selling as well when your team has got nothing? Well, maybe we will. Maybe it'll be reminiscent well, I, of 2016 I think own, up, own up to it. Just acknowledge the fact this team's going nowhere. But the Mets team did. Is, you know, not have fun. they? It's not fun, but we're looking in the mirror. We don't and have that much time. EWZ breaking out of a 15-year bear market. Melms, back to you. All right. Thank you for watching Fast Money. We will see you back here at 5 tomorrow, we hope. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.